speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 56 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I am going to begin my coverage of season 5 of The Adventures of Superman with episodes 1 and 2, Peril in Paris, and Tin Hero. And if you, uh, and this episode for me really starts the home stretch in the, in my coverage of The Adventures of Superman as I am watching these episodes through the DVD set, and this is the last of the four volumes that were released. Out of the 104 episodes of Adventures of Superman, I have now covered 78, so 78 of 104, so this is most definitely the the home stretch, as they say. You know, Season 5 will bring a couple of small changes to the show. One of the things you'll notice if you're watching along is that this will be the first season in which the special effects crew on have animated in bullets bouncing off of Superman. You'll see little specks bounce off the Man of Steel as criminals fire their guns at him. In the previous color episodes, he had mainly used a kind of a pinging sound to indicate the sound of the bullet ricocheting, but we never really saw anything. This will be the first time we actually see animated bullets bouncing off Superman's chest. And also, and this is not as much of a good thing, it's kind of it kind of depends on how you feel about this sort of thing. Season 5 begins the cessation of title cards. No longer will the title cards appear in front of the episode. So, I don't know how important it is to you to know the title of each episode as it comes on. A lot, I mean, a lot of shows have gotten away from that. Even though they still title the episodes, you don't always see them on the screen. So, this show is going to discontinue that practice with Season 5. And we see a couple of other things. Uh, a couple of other notes for Season 5 is that it does continue the show's transition. There will be more episodes for the kiddies in Season 5. You know, and I personally, I do believe Season 5 is probably the weakest of the six seasons of The Adventures of Superman. The tone of the show might change a little bit. I mean, I'm still going to give every episode a fair shake, of course. But I will warn you that many of the Season 5 episodes are not as... Good as most of what has come before, and really not as good as... And there's a lot of good episodes in Season 6. That doesn't mean that you can't enjoy Season 5 episodes. There are some good ones. And there are some ones that, you know, you look back and you kind of wonder what the producers were thinking. And we'll get to some of those episodes down the line. So, with that said, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to play a podcast promo, as I have no further preamble. And I'm going to come back with Peril in Paris. Hang around, folks. Justice League International Blah Ha Ha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis, will be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter, Batman, Dr. Fate, Black Canary, Fire, Ice, Maxwell Lord, Oberon, Captain Marvel, Rocket Red, Captain Adam, Mr. Miracle, Guy Gardner, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, Nort, and many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to kick off Season 5 of The Adventures of Superman with Peril in Paris. Original broadcast date was March 7th, 1957. Writers were David Chandler and Robert Drake. And we're going to rec- welcome back director George Blair to the fold. Guest cast included, and this is a funny one, Robert Shane as Inspector Linnae. As many of you know, Robert Shane is a regular on the show playing the role of Inspector Henderson. In this episode, he's going to be a French inspector. We also have Albert Carrier as Pierre Lumont, Lillian Chauvin as Anna Constantine, Charles Latour as Raoul Durant, 
and Peter Mamakos making his third and final appearance on the show as Gregor. Mamakos previously played Happy King in the Season 2 episode, The Defeat of Superman, and he was the dictator Markle in King for a Day. And uh, finally, our last guest star for this episode is Franz Roan as Jacques Ducre. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Daily Planet reporters Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen find themselves in Paris, France. They are speaking with French police inspector Lanay, who is an identical twin of Inspector Henderson of Metropolis. Ah, Monsieur Olsen, Monsieur Kent, forgive me for keeping you waiting. I am Lanay. You're kidding! Uh, pardonnez-moi. Oh, come off it, Bill. What are you doing way over here anyway? Monsieur, I do not understand. Oh, come on. You're Inspector Henderson from Metropolis, all dressed up with a trick mustache. Monsieur, I assure you that the mustache, she is my own. And I am not Inspector Henderson of Metropolis, USA, but Inspector Lanier of Paris, France. But the resemblance is truly frightening. I, I mean, remarkable, sir. Uh, perhaps it is, monsieur, that all in police inspectors, uh, they look alike. Monsieur? Thank you. Anyway, having you look like Inspector Henderson makes it feel sort of homey. Uh, thank you, monsieur. Now that we have established my identity, and since everybody knows that you are sometimes able to contact Superman, uh, the letter, it was uh, addressed to Superman in uh, care of myself. It was written from one of our less fortunate neighboring countries behind the Iron Curtain. Are you authorized to open it, Monsieur Kent? Oh, I don't think that Superman will mind. Let's see. Monsieur Superman. I write this in haste, but implore you to meet me here, backstage at the LaCordia Theater, at 5 o'clock the morning of April 2nd. The welfare of many people is at stake, signed Anna Constantine. I thought it would be something like that. You know this Madame Constantine? Ah, uh, yes, I... I saw her once on, on this stage. She was a great actress in her country before the war. After, <laughs> with the theater, she has been closed for many years. Mm-hmm. This does sound rather urgent, though, doesn't it? I recommend nothing. It uh, is not exactly a police affair, yet. Uh, you think it will be? The simplest acts often lead to my door, monsieur. I like to be prepared. I see. Well, thank you for your courtesy. We must return to our hotel. Au revoir. Au revoir. As Jimmy goes to take some articles to the press bureau, Superman is meeting with Anna Constantine. <sighs> Madame Constantine? Yes, Superman. You startled me. But it is worth it to have you here. Are we alone? Gregor is with me. He's an old family servant and a devoted friend. He's outside watching. Watching? You mean uh, you're afraid of something? Oh, of everything these days. Wait. What is it? Not quite sure. Excuse me. Oh, get over there quickly. smothered it with your bare hands. Yes, and now I'm very glad I came here. I heard an explosion. Are you all right, madame? Oh, no, I'm done, Gregor. Thanks to Superman. My most humble thanks. If anything should happen to madame, I would never forgive myself. Well, evidently somebody wanted something to happen. But I was the only other one who knew she would be here. Including me and several others. I think I know. It happens every once in a while. A hidden bomb planted during the war by our enemies or even our own underground. Oh, that is it. The mechanism stops. Then years later, a sudden jar. Yes, and when you land it down here... All right, all right. I'll accept that for now. But tell me, madame, is there any reason for anyone wishing you harm? Yes. For these. And they're all real. Must be worth a king's ransom. Yes, they've been in my family for generations. They were taken from us during the war. It has taken Gregor and I many years to get them back. And how did you get them back? We took them. You mean you stole them? No. The jewels belong to Madame. They were stolen from her. We merely took them back. That is not stealing. Please, you must believe us. You may check later, but right now I must get them back to Paris. You mean you can't cross the frontier? Oh, never. Gregor and I would be checked most thoroughly. Well, I'm very sorry, madame, but this isn't quite the kind of work that I do. 
But it is not for me. I intend to sell them and use the money to help hundreds of my relatives and friends in France. They are trying to make a new life in a new country. It is often not easy, sir. They, they are poor. They need help. Very well, then. But I warn you both, I intend to check the rightful owner as well as where the money is spent. You will never be sorry, sir. Let's hope not. Gregor and I will take the morning train, and we will meet you in Paris, near the fountain at the Tuileries, at midnight. I'll be there. Pierre Lamont and Raoul Durant, two French policemen, have arrested Gregor and Anna Constantine at their second encounter with Superman. You have kept our second appointment, Superman. I hope to be of no more trouble to you. If what you said is true, it's the kind of trouble I enjoy. There you are, airmail, special delivery. There is no way to thank you. And there is no need, Madame Constantine. Who are you to sneak up like wolves in the dark? Pierre Lamont, my take credential, and this is Officer Durand. We have no need for the police. But perhaps the police have need of you, Madame. And just what do you mean by that? As if you didn't know, Monsieur Superman, you visit our country and take off with thieves. We are not thieves. Well, let's just pretend that I don't know, huh? I can only say you are standing with two of Europe's most accomplished smugglers. We were alerted to their arrival and followed them here, hoping also to trap their accomplice. That's very interesting. That's not the story I was told. Do not listen to them, Superman. There is some terrible mistake. Yes. Yours, Madame Constantine. All right, you two. Madame, Monsieur, come with me, please. I know you could prevent this, Monsieur Superman, but you won't, because I promise I keep you out of it. Not for your sake, but for the sake of so many who believe in you. I've always tried to justify that faith. The smarter the criminal, the more legitimate he tries to appear. You are not welcome in my country, monsieur. I know no jail can hold you, but you cannot even fly from your own conscience. However, Clark Kent learns from Inspector Lanai that there is neither Aral Durant nor Pierre Lumont working for him. Madame Constantine and Gregor were not brought into custody. With the fortune of jewels involved, only former criminal Jacques Ducre, an expert diamond cutter and fence, could soon be involved in this unusual case. And it's up to Superman to get answers from him soon. Superman has enlisted the aid of Jacques Ducre. He is to spread a rumor through the French underworld that an American, who will be Jimmy Olsen undercover, is interested in the Constantine jewels. Should the man of tomorrow's plan succeed, the thieves who took Miss Constantine and her heirlooms will go to prison, and Ducre will be heralded as a hero for helping the authorities capture the criminals. Jacques Ducre is to meet Clark Kent at 5 p.m., and Jimmy has an appointment with jewel thieves Pierre Lumont and old Durant in his hotel room two hours later. However, Lumont and Durant take Ducre prisoner along with Anna Constantine and Gregor, leaving Ken to find Durant in Ducre's shop. Ducre wanted to leave the smuggler tied out to get some tools he needs to cut his jams, but he was unsuccessful. On top of that, Lumont has arrived earlier than planned to negotiate with Jimmy. I'm the one who called you no long ago, Mr. Olson. You? But I said not before seven, and it's only about five. You can't be here before seven. But I am here. Yeah. Well, uh... Would you like to sit down? Thank you. Maybe we can kill a couple of hours talking about old times. Old times? That's right. We just met, didn't we? How would you like to have a nice leisurely dinner? I'll have it set up. I'm here for strictly business. Strictly business? Well, that's the way I like it. Forgive me, Mr. Olson, but aren't you rather young to be an America hoodlum? Well, I got started early. You see, Mom and Dad and the whole family were... was all in the rackets. And, uh... they brought me up right. Oh, I see. Well, let's get a gander at the ice. Gander? Ice? Oh, yes, of course. Naturally, I don't have them with me. But I will take you to the place. The place? Yes. Well, you can gander the ice, monsieur. As Jimmy is brought to Lamont's lair, Durant has taken whatever materials Ducre requires to change the Constantine jewels after Clark has let him go. Who are you? What do you do here? I'm waiting for Monsieur Ducre. How did you get in? The door was supposed to be locked. It wasn't when I came in. However, the shop is closed, monsieur. Good night. Uh, just a minute. Where is Monsieur Ducre? 
I do not know. I uh, bought the shop just this afternoon. See, I have the keys. Uh -huh. Now go. Good night, monsieur. Haven't I seen you before? No, 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 no. You're mistaken. This is impossible. <laughs> Good night, monsieur. Yes, I guess you're right. Good night, sir. However, Superman will soon pursue the thief. The last son of Krypton will have to work fast, for Jimmy's bumbling imitation of a juvenile delinquent can get him in trouble. You mean this is him? Yes. He is an expert at gathering the ice in spite of his youth. Is it not so, monsieur? Sure it's so. You are helping them rob unfortunate people, monsieur. I'm sorry, lady, but business is business. Do you know what? I forgot my eyepiece at the hotel. I'll be back with it in about a half an hour. So I have one here, monsieur. If you will sit down. Thank you. I've read about American gangsters. The cruel eyes. The snarling mouth. Oh, me? Oh, listen, I'm... Yeah, that's me. The old man is Ducre. You will cut and reset the stones right here tonight, if you wish. I only have one wish. Of course, to see the jewels. I will get them. Yeah, the ice. I want to see the ice. Hurry up with the ice! Voila. At least. How much? How much will you give us? Now, just don't rush me. That's a nice bunch of points and carrots. How much? How much will you give? I'll tell you what. I'll give you 20 million francs for the whole bunch. You are an amazing judge of gems, monsieur. Well, I get around. Or at least I used to. It's him! I knew he'd come! And whom were you expecting, monsieur? Him. You know, I have contacts, too. I did some investigating. I knew there were the, the three of you in on this caper. Forgive my suspicion, monsieur. I realize that you two must be careful. Let's get on. One more piece, Mr. Olson, from another collection. How much will you add for it? I'll give you another two million francs. You are very, very generous, monsieur, considering it is made of glass. Yeah, but, uh, top quality glass. Enough, you are an imposter. You fool, you've bungled it. There is no harm done. That's why I call on him two hours early, to avoid a trap. Now we must dispose of the three of them at once. Exactly. Move, monsieur. Oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't supposed to turn out this way. Oh, it is I who am sorry for causing all this. Come on, move. Come on. As Jimmy, Miss Constantine, and Jacques Ducre are forced at gunpoint to go to an underground cellar, the young man confesses that Superman followed him. Having been on the trail of Raoul Durant as Jimmy calls for help, Superman smashes through the wall to the, of the smuggler's domain. Fearing the Man of Steel, all three criminals jump into the cellar to wait for the authorities to arrest them. Well, that should hold them for a while, at least till we can notify the real members of the Sûreté. I seem always to be thanking you, Superman. And I, the excitement makes me feel young again. But how did you ever find us? Well, you can thank Monsieur de Cray for sending that man to get his tools. Oh, then you recognize the fake policeman. That's right, and I followed him here. But, but it was Mr. Kent who should have been there. How do you explain that, Superman? With the truth, Jimmy, you're not the only one I have to keep track of. Sometimes I'm very close to Clark Kent, you know. All right. So this was, uh, you know, like I said, a decent enough episode to start season five. You know, it didn't set the world on fire, but... It is an okay performance. This episode starts off in Paris with the uh, prefect of police wanting to see Jimmy and Clark. And the first thing we're going to see is that this man looks like Bill Henderson, but basically with a French accent and a mustache. And apparently uh, Robert Shane's involvement in this episode was part of the script as it sets up a gag with Jimmy and Clark who actually think that this is Bill Henderson for some inexplicable reason having traveled to France to play a prank. I'm not sure why they Henderson would have done this, but they seem to think he has. And obviously this is played by Robert Shane, and as we know from 
the season four episode Jimmy the Kid that Jimmy Olsen had a double. And they do say sometimes that, that every one of us has a double out there somewhere, so it looks as though Bill Henderson has one too. Why not? So apparently someone named Anna Constantine, an actress from behind the Iron Curtain, is seeking help from Superman. For those of you who don't know your history from the post-World War II era, it was the name for the boundary dividing Europe into two separate areas from the end of World War II until about the end of the Cold War in 1991. It was a term symbolizing the... It's kind of a effort by the Soviet Union to block itself and some of its satellite countries from open contact with the West and uh, non-Soviet controlled areas. So basically everything to the east of the Iron Curtain, which ran down through Eastern Europe, was associated with communism. And just about everything to the West was more capitalistic. It, however, is not the 1970s Pittsburgh Steelers defense. That is a completely different Iron Curtain. So, back in the hotel room, I find it interesting that when Clark changes into Superman after Jimmy, after sending Jimmy off on his errands, that when the camera cuts back to Jimmy, the music is played at a lower volume, almost as if the Superman theme is coming from inside the hotel room. And, uh, Superman continues to look really good this season, except for some of the, uh, sweat around his belt area. I'm, uh, not sure, uh, why George Reeves is, uh, sweating a little bit more in season five than he has in previous seasons, but he is, and, uh, you know... It's quite visible, so it's one of those things that once you see it, you really can't unsee it, and I'm probably going to be seeing it for most of the rest of the series. And this is, you know, part of the reason why I really don't care to see this show on Blu-ray. I'm not necessarily sure I need to see that any clearer than I already do. And But aside from that, the suit looks good as well. The blue is a little more of a powder blue than it has been in previous seasons, but the red and the S is very vibrant, but the yellow is a little more pale. I mean, I think these are some more of the efforts to, as I mentioned, these shows were shot in color, but aired in black and white, especially in first run. None of these episodes were shown, were broadcast in color until 1965, so... The producers of the show were well aware of the fact that these episodes would be aired in black and white, and were doing as much as they could to put some distinction in the costume between the reds and the blues, with varied levels of success. So Superman finds a bomb in Madame Constantine's suitcase, and I like the effect here when the bomb exploded. Uh, some shaky cam, and the screen turned yellow, and you saw kind of an echo in Superman's movements. You saw a bit of an afterimage, and a very, very nice, well-put-together shot. And a rudimentary effect by today's standards, but by 1950s technology, very well done. So apparently Madame Constantine has some expensive jewels that makes her a target. Apparently these jewels were stolen from her family... I guess perhaps it's some kind of military raid or something. I don't know. But they have stolen them back. Which, you know, I know your mother taught you that two wrongs don't necessarily make a right. But according to Gregor, they do. We're going to learn some things about Gregor as this show goes on. Trust me. So Superman has absolutely no desire to take these jewels across the border. But he is uh, convinced by the promise of the proceeds of the sale going to some, some charity. You would think Superman would have learned his lesson from... The season 4 episode, The Girl Who Hired Superman, but clearly he has not, as he did a similar thing. And although that time, Superman was a little more wise to the plot. I mean, he figured out he was carrying phony dollar bill plates before he got anywhere. Interestingly enough, Superman says he's going to check this story out, but he doesn't. He takes off and he flies. It's very weird here. It's a strange cut. He leaves his first meeting with Madame Constantine. And then, you know, after we get the scene, the flying scene with the flight music, the dun -dun 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 -dun, he lands right with Gregor and Madame Constantine in Paris, almost as if he was flying that whole time. And, you know, I understand that this is only a 25, 26 minute show, and, and that's the total runtime. That includes the opening theme and the end credits. So maybe there's only about 24 minutes of total story time. You don't have any time for to show, really show Superman looking into Madame Constantine's story, but, you know, maybe if the director wants to get a little cute or something, maybe a scene of Superman, or Clark for that matter, doing some research on something to kind of indicate that he is looking into this story that he says he's looking into. The way this scene plays, it doesn't look as though he's checking anything out. He just looks like he just flies from one meeting to the other. Maybe he was flying around while the whole tr while the train was on traveling. I don't know. That whole thing just seemed like a very lazy transition. 
So here come two men who claim to be policemen and accuse Anna Constantine and Gregor of being smugglers and basically accuse Superman of being in bed with smugglers. And at this moment, there's no real reason to believe that they're not police officers, but they arrest Constantine and Gregor and Superman is told he's unwelcome in Paris. And, you know, it seems at first as though Superman has been outwitted a little bit into smuggling that for Anna Constantine and Gregor. And I love the shot right after this that... Superman kind of looks around, kind of frustrated after they leave. You know, he kind of sits down on the bench, kind of wondering what went wrong. He's very dismayed here, and you can see that look on George Reeves' face. Superman is upset at the notion that he may have done the wrong thing. And he doesn't find out until after the scene, after he's outwitted by the Raoul and Lamont, that Clark goes back to Inspector Lanai and asks about... Raul and Lamont. And that's when basically Lunai says, no, they are, there's no Lamont on the police force. The mystery, uh, there's a little bit of a mystery here. What happened to these people after uh, these two guys marched them away? So Superman shows up to see Jacques Ducre, who is a former career criminal. And I like this shot of Superman uh, kind of in shadow on the wall as Ducre works. He was an expert diamond cutter in a previous criminal life. Judging from what's happened with Lamont and Raul, Superman, doesn't really want to be seen. So, Superman, but he does have to tell Ducre who he is, and understandable that they're far from Metropolis, but of course, once Superman tells Ducre who he is, he's all about helping. He wants to show that he has gone straight. So, Superman gets some information out of Ducre that he heard a rumor that the thieves, that some diamond thieves are looking for a buyer, and Superman is going to use Jimmy to spring his trap. Apparently the buyer is going to be a Mr. Olsen. Superman wants Ducre to put a word out on the criminal grapevine. Interestingly enough, at first it seems as though Constantine and Ducre are all in this together. So, And we know Lamont's not a cop and neither is Raul. So apparently, at first it seems though everyone is in cahoots with each other. But that's going to be disproven very soon. Lamont, however, is concerned about Superman, who is probably still smarting from the number Lamont ran on him in the prior scene. Even though Lamont says that Superman is along a welcome in Paris... I'm sure he's figuring Superman is not just going to go quietly. So Jimmy isn't very thrilled to being part of this plan as he's going to send a postcard to his mother saying that he wishes he was there. Well, most people when they send postcards home from vacation, they write, wish you were here. Nope, not Jimmy. He is going to wish he was there with his mother because he doesn't really feel like being the, the bait on the hook here, even if Superman's the band doing the fishing. So, so now uh, Ducre has been taken with uh, into the little underground bunker. Apparently, Gregor is in on this, but Anna Constantine is not, as she see, applauds Ducre for not cooperating with the criminals. But Lamont continues to threaten both of them, and uh, Ducre seems to capitulate, and uh, he wants to go to his shop, probably be- to get his tools. At least that, and he wants to go alone, because, well, that's where he's supposed to meet Clark, but obviously he's not going to be there. And Clark does find out that Ducre is not there when he gets there, and he does the next best thing and forces his way in with his super strength. Lamont, meanwhile, has called on Jimmy two hours early, so Jimmy's going to find a way to stall. <laughs> and I love how he's going to talk about old times with Lamont. And even though Lamont points out that they just met, so how could you possibly talk about old times with somebody you just met? But, you know what, Jimmy has to start acting like a criminal here, you know, start acting, acting like he's afraid, he has to uh, act like he's mean and all that, you know. As Mr. Spock would later say in the Mirror Mirror episode. It's far easier for you as civilized men to behave like barbarians than it was for them as barbarians to behave like civilized men. So Jimmy's going to pretend to be a barbarian here. Or at the very least, uh, a jewel thief. Basically, though, by showing up when he did, Lamont has shot Clark's plan straight to hell and back. Eventually, Clark will meet Raoul at Ducre's office and uh, at his little shop, and Raoul will say that he bought the shop this afternoon and one of the quickest property sales in modern history. And to prove his point, he shows that he has the keys. But Clark does recognize him because he was dressed as the cop when he saw them as Superman. Even though Raul says he never saw Clark before, that's kind of true because he saw Superman and not Clark. So Lamont brings uh, Jimmy back to wherever it is they're hiding. And uh, Lamont really enjoys the phrase, gandering the ice. Because he never misses an opportunity to say that Mr. Olsen is going to gander the ice. And at this point, though, it seems as though Gregor is the brains behind this operation as he is doing most of the talking here. Jimmy is doing everything he can to stall, but is failing miserably. Ducre says something to Jimmy, but he starts acting polite until he realizes he has to act tough. 
by acting tough is basically Jimmy being demanding that they give me the ice so he can gander it. And of course, there's some comedy here as Jimmy is using the eyepiece backwards and everybody notices. And I guess that's part of the gag. Everybody can tell right away that Jimmy has no idea what he is doing. So Jimmy hears somebody come in and he's probably thinking it's Superman, but it's nope, it's just Roll who uh, points out that he saw Clark at the uh, at the shop. And now we get to a point where Lamont is going to test Jimmy's skill at gandering the ice. And Jimmy fails the test miserably as uh, he offers two million francs for Lamont for a piece of glass. So they know he has no idea what he's talking about. And uh, Jimmy will make a show here of calling for Superman after Lamont opens the trap door to some kind of cellar. And when Lamont says move, you know, to move into the wine cellar, Jimmy decides to run the other direction, prompting uh, Lamont to yell, don't move. There's just a funny reversal. Move, Jimmy runs, don't move, Jimmy stops. Nice little humorous bit. You know, Jack Larson never fails to show off his comedic timing and how good he is with physical comedy. And, you know, Superman does show up. He clearly heard Jimmy call because he was had super hearing. And because I question whether he was following Raul from the shop. I mean, maybe he was keeping an eye on him, but you would think that if he was following Raul, he would have come in much sooner. So Superman comes through the wall on a nice shot. Now I want you to look carefully, if you, if you did, at the scene where the criminal shoots Superman. You can finally see the animated bullets bouncing off him like we saw during the Kirk Allen serial. Something new for the fifth season. Even though this show is going a little taking more of a kid-friendly tone, they're still putting some money on it and they're making improvements to the visual effects. So they're still spending some money in some key areas. So Superman will take care of the criminals. He will have them point their guns at each other for a moment before Lamont just slips and falls in the hole. Followed by Raul and Gregor just doesn't want to deal with Superman at all. And he is going to dive straight into his, into the wine cellar. And, you know, this uh, has Jimmy kind of asking, you know, what happened? Ducray knows that uh, she was supposed to meet Clark Kent at his shop. And uh, Sup- Jimmy kind of calls Superman out on it. Hey, how do you know we were here? And Superman just says, well, you know what, Jimmy? I watched Clark Kent too. And we get a little wink. So, no, not a bad episode. It was okay. You know, probably a C effort. It's a little dull, but watchable. It's not a bad way to start off season five. It's not like ending season four with the Jolly Roger. You know, so, an okay episode. And then we're going to move on to another okay episode. So, I'm going to take a quick break, play a promo, and then we're going to come back with Tin Hero. Hang around, folks. I regret to say, sir, Batman and Robin are not at present available. What? Oh, surely you you must be jesting. Alas, sir, I am not. Gotham City is overcome by villainy on the comic page from the likes of the Joker, <laughs> the Riddler, and the Penguin. As they run rampant, only one man has the courage, the gall, and the skills to face the Silver Age. Hi, I'm J. David Weeder, but you can call me Dave. If you haven't guessed, this is an overly dramatic promo for my show, The Dave Cave, a Batman podcast looking at the tales of the dynamic duo from the Silver Age. Come back with me to a time when Batman was less grim, Robin was content to wear hot pants, and the villains didn't rip their own faces off. Each episode will examine a tale from the pages of comics such as Batman, Detective Comics, The Brave and the Bold, and World's Finest Comics. It's all the bat action, bat adventure, and bat puns that you can handle on The Dave Cave, available at thedavecavepodcast.com, iTunes, or the podcatcher of your choice. The Dave Cave Batman Podcast, because in the Silver Age, there were no limits. Holy unsatisfying ending. Alright, welcome back folks. We're going to head right into Tin Hero. Original broadcast date was March 14th, 1957. Writer was Wilton Schiller, and director was George Blair. Guest cast included Carl Ritchie as Frank Smullins, Paula Houston as Celia Adams, Jack Lomas as Big Jack, Frank Richards as Marty, and Sam Finn as Fingers Danny. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. While there's still crime on the streets of Metropolis, it's been a slow news week for the Daily Planet. You sent for us, boss? You bet I did. Where were you? Well, Chief, we just got in here this minute. What's the matter? Something special? No, nothing special. That's just the trouble. Read that headline. Yes. Mayor seeks re-election. So? So what's wrong with that? So? Is that anything to sell newspapers? Who cares whether Mayor Fredericks runs again or not? Well, Chief, we don't create the news. We just write it, you know. I'll admit it's been a very quiet week. Quiet? We're putting gardening news on the front page. People are going to get out of the habit of buying newspapers. 
This is a big city. There must be something of interest going on. Well, maybe we've done our job too well. But with our exposés of crime and uh, wonderful work by our police department, maybe there isn't any crime left in Metropolis. I wish you were right. If that were the case, I wouldn't mind if the circulation fell off. But you know we've just made a dent. Crime is still going on. Why don't we know about it? But we've chased down every tip and covered every assignment you sent us on. Obviously, that's not enough. From here on, the three of you are on your own. You mean we're fired? In your case, that might not be a bad idea. You mean roving assignments, huh, Chief? That's right. Split up, poke around. Investigate everything that looks odd or suspicious. Too bad Superman isn't around. Then we could get some real coverage. Hey, where are you going? Well, I lost the heel off my shoe, Lois. I thought I'd better get it fixed. Have you got any ideas, Chief? You're supposed to be a reporter. You get the ideas, and don't call me Chief. As Kent patrols the city as Superman, Jimmy has found a scoop for the Chief. A man is doing a cat's cradle with some string as he crosses the street. He runs into a thief who makes a hasty exit from Federated Savings and Loan. <sighs> the man stumbles into the gangster, unwittingly capturing him with the twine in his arms. Jimmy takes a photograph of the incident for the planet. And little does the cup reporter realize that an innocent bystander is about to take part in the greatest adventure of his life. Jimmy brings Frank Smullins, the timid man who foiled the bank robbery, to the Planet offices for an exclusive interview. I got it, Chief. I've saved the Daily Planet. What is it this time, Olson? Pictures of get the cat out of the tree detail again? No, sir, Chief. A bank robbery at Federated Savings and Loan. Really? You were there? You've got pictures? Better than that. You can phone the headline down. Private citizen foils armed bank robbery. What? Sure. I was walking down the street when this guy comes out of the bank firing a gun, and then this other guy comes up and almost jumps him. Hey, wait, 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 just a minute. I want to take this down. Here. Ladies and gentlemen and fellow reporters, you all know what a great instinct that I have for news. Just a story, Olson. Oh, sure. Well, I was walking down the street with this great instinct for news that I have, when suddenly, bang, bang, I heard shots from in the bank. And this guy comes tearing out of the bank, firing a gun as he runs. Then this other guy comes from nowhere and, get this, jumps the bank robber. Jumps a desperate criminal, firing a gun and wrestles him to the sidewalk. You mean you actually got pictures of all this? Step by step, right from the beginning. Jimmy, we're proud of you. Wait a minute. As Al Joseph used to say, you ain't heard nothing yet. This joker not only gets the criminal down on the sidewalk, but suddenly he's got a piece of rope and he's starting to tie him up when the bank guard comes out and collars the crook. Jimmy, you're sensational. Jimmy, you're a rotten reporter. What? Do you know what a good reporter would have done? Well, just what I did. Get the story and get it straight. What would you have done, Kent? Well, I might have brought the hero up here to the office for an exclusive byline interview. Exactly. Voila! Meet Frank Smullins, the hero of the hour, whom I have just brought here for an exclusive byline interview. Mr. Smullins? Meet my associate, Mr. White. Nice meeting you, Mr. Smullins. And it's good to know there are still men left with an inbred sense of civic duty. Well, thank you, Mr. White. But you see, as I was trying to tell Mr. Olson... Uh, and these are two of my best reporters, Clark Kent. How do you do? Horse Lane. How do you do? It's really a thrill meeting you two. I read your stories all the time. It's an even greater thrill to meet you, sir. Especially after we heard what you've done. Oh, it, it was nothing, really. Nothing, he says. Jumping an armed hoodlum single-handed. Now, Mr. Smullins, will you tell us in your own words just what happened? Well, I was walking along the street when suddenly I hear this shooting. I looked up and I saw this man running out of the bank with a gun. What were you doing by the bank? Well, I, I was on my lunch hour. I was just taking a walk. Uh, I'm a bookkeeper at Simmons & Sons. Simmons & Sons? Well, that's more than a mile from the bank. I know, but I, I, I sort of got a feeling that I should take a walk in that direction. Uh, I often get those feelings. What do you mean you often get those feelings? Well, to be there when something is happening. Like what? Uh, I was at 8th and Spring when, uh, when that crazy man threatened to jump off the roof. And I was at the ballpark when Huggins pitched a no-hitter. And this was the first time you were ever at a ballpark? That's right. Am I speaking loud enough? Oh, quiet, quiet. I've seen lots of other holdups and robberies and shootings. 
But this is the first time I've ever taken an active part. Now, that's what I call an instinct for news. One man in 10 million has it like that. He just happened to be walking by the bank, a mile out of his way. Hey, wait a minute. I was there too, you know. You were just lucky. This man's the greatest natural-born reporter to come along in years. From now on, you're working for the planet. But I already have a job. I've been a bookkeeper for Simmons & Sons for 20 years. I'll give you twice what you're getting there. How much are you making now? $45 a week. Like I said, give you $90 a week to start. For the greatest natural-born reporter to come along in years? All right, I'll make it 100. What do you say? I, I don't know. I'll have to discuss it with Celia. Do you realize the opportunity I'm offering you? Your own series, a byline, a special crime-busting reporter. I'll have to discuss it with Celia. After talking things over with his girlfriend, Celia Adams, Frank Smolens agrees to be the newest member of the Daily Planet staff. And then Mr. White said, if I'd come to work for the Planet, he'd pay me $100 a week. Frank, I'm so proud of you. And now we can get married. But don't you think we should wait until we see if this new job works out? Well, of course it will work out. Didn't he call you the greatest natural-born reporter to come along in years? I... But I sort of hate leaving Simmons and Sons. I've been there so long. But Frank, you, you're only a junior bookkeeper after all these years. I know. But I feel that eventually I'd work up from there. Do you remember the plan I submitted to Mr. Simmons about a complete overhauling of our sales campaign? Frank, you've been submitting that plan for five years now. Why, you can't even get Mr. Simmons to read it. But if he would... He won't. Twenty years with his firm, and I'll bet he doesn't even know your name. You know, you're right. Why, with the plans Mr. White has, there's no telling what might happen to me. We've got to knock off this Smullins character right now. It's bad luck to knock off a reporter. It'll be worse luck if we let him live. I still say we ought to rub him out. You say? Let's get this straight. I agreed to come to Metropolis and organize this setup on one condition. That my word is final. We have the whole operation planned. We held off on everything for a month to lull the town into a sense of false security. In that month, I planned 20 perfect jobs. We spring them, bang, 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 one right after another. And before they know what's hit them, we're all rich and out of town. Well, this guy sure fouled up your first job. It says the planet hired him as a special crime-busting reporter. It was a freak. An accident. He couldn't possibly have known about the job. It was planned and timed perfectly. Some perfect. They got Louie with all the dough. The job this afternoon will come off without a hitch. A hundred thousand dollar heist. And all it takes is one pickpocket. Then, eight more jobs tomorrow, ten the next day, and we'll have this town practically cleaned out. Clark convinces Frank to help capture Fingers Danny, the hardest working pickpocket in the city. Danny took the wallet of Federated Savings and Loan President C.V. Owen as part of a gangster's Big Jack and Marty's plans to steal $100,000. Big Jack was the mastermind behind the robbery that Frank Smullen stopped. Now Clark has grabbed Fingers Danny while retrieving C.V. Owen's wallet. However, poor Frank has fainted at the sight of Danny's gun. Another of Big Jack's criminal jobs has been foiled, but a lethal trap may be set for Frank Smullen's crime reporter. Well, he did it again. Another accident, another freak? Certainly. The guy obviously likes to hang around the bank. I still say we ought to rub him out. We can't afford to upset our schedule, especially with a killing. And that's final, Marty. According to the schedule, the next job is mine. The safe job at Van Rails. That's right. My figures show there ought to be about a half a million dollars in diamonds in that safe, besides a load of cash. I don't like the way your first two jobs went haywire. I could end up in the clink. What could go wrong with this one? Pete and Al should have the alarm cut by now, and in about a half hour, both guards will be doubled up with cramps. Now you better get going. Now get this straight, Big Jack. That schedule or no schedule. If that Frank Smullins character shows up, he's gonna get it. Marty wants to eliminate Frank, whom both Clark Kent and Perry White discover merely caught Big Jack's first dog by accident. still can't get over Smullen's courage. Ah, neither can I. Clark, I don't understand you. Now that we're beginning to get some good beats again, you don't seem happy. 
Well, frankly, Chief, I'm just a little bit worried about this so-called crime-busting reporter of yours. Worried? But why? It can't be that you're jealous. I know you too well for that. Oh, Chief. For your information, Frank did not capture Danny. I did. You did? That's right. Frank was afraid to even approach Danny. When Danny pulled a gun on him, he fainted. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. But after he came to, I managed to convince him that he had disarmed Danny. Well, maybe he tripped. It might have been an accident. If you ask me, I think his first capture was an accident. Oh, Chief. Do you remember that series of pictures that Olson shot? Yeah. Well, Chief, I've got a hunch. Even though he started to believe the publicity about himself, Frank has fainted once again at the sight of a gun. This one belongs to Marty, who locks Smallings in the Van Rails jewelry safe with a lit stick of dynamite before making his getaway. Superman rips open the door, hurls the explosive into the sky, and awakens Frank. The timid little man now thinks he scared Marty away, and this leads him to become overconfident. Big Jack has eight more jobs planned for tomorrow. I told you it was bad luck to try and knock off a reporter. What was I supposed to do, surrender to him when he asked me to? Now we got Superman on our necks. That's all we need. Do you agree now that we have to get rid of that reporter? Unfortunately, I do. We've got eight jobs going off simultaneously tomorrow. Even Superman can't be in all those places at once. But I'll bet that Smollin's character can. We'll have to get rid of him today. Get rid of him? We can't even get near him as long as Superman seems to be protecting him. We've got to figure a way to make him come to us. I had the boys check up on him. He has a girlfriend named Celia Adams. Lives at 37 Maple Street. Unfortunately, Marty and Big Jack are about to get a surprise. Jimmy Olsen, pretending to be Frank, answered the gangster's call to the Daily Planet. Perry White's office. I'd like to speak to Frank Smullins. I have a hot tip. Um, just a minute. I'll try to find them for you. Hello, this is Frank Smullins. What can I do for you? If you'll come along to your girlfriend's house, I have a very big story for you. Who is this? Never mind. Just be there within an hour, or you'll never see her again. Remember, be alone. Uh, what's the address? Huh? What do you mean, the address? Well, uh, she owns two houses. Which one are you at? Oh, the one at 37 Maple Street. Oh, that one. 37 Maple Street. I'll be right over. Frank Smullins never breaks his word. Hey, hey, what was that all about? I just got a tip. I'm going to show Mr. White that that Smullins guy isn't the only one around here that can get a scoop. Another trap has been set, and this time Jimmy is in the evil criminal's clutches. As Marty and Big Jack have Celia and Jimmy tied up, Lois Lane, Perry White, Frank, and Clark wonder where the cub reporter went. Frank and Lois race to rescue Celia and Jimmy once they learn that Jimmy took Big Jack's call. In the meantime, Superman is flying at tremendous speeds. As Big Jack opens the gas to the fireplace, the Man of Steel arrives. He knocks out the villains, but does not untie Celia and Jimmy. He has other plans. The unconscious thug is sitting on the sofa with guns in hand when Frank and Lois enter the house. Frank bumps Marty and Big Jack's heads together. Frank Smollins and Celia Adams have entered Perry's office to tell him that Frank will no longer work for the Daily Planet. Come in, my boy. <clears throat> Come in. Well, uh, that was a great piece of work you did. What sort of a feeling do you have for tomorrow? Well, we just dropped by to tell you I'm quitting, Mr. White. Oh, nonsense. You've got a great future in this business. Another incident like yesterday, and he'll have no future at all. We decided it's too dangerous a job for a married man. I see. And would you be kind enough to tell me just how he's going to support a wife and $45 a week? Oh, we don't have to worry about money. When Mr. Simmons, my old boss, kept reading about me in the paper, he finally dug up that plan I submitted to him five years ago and read it. He offered me twice what you're paying me to be head of sales planning. Well, I, I'm very glad for your sake, Mr. Smullins. But do you think it's entirely fair to me? Don't think it's so hard, Chief. At least you got all those stories that you were yelling about. I know, but what am I going to print tomorrow? Well, there's the meeting of the Better Babies League and the Flowers Show. Quiet. Now get out of here, all of you before I go completely insane. Oh, Mr. Smullins. Yes, sir? Stop at the cashier's window on the way out. I'll phone him and tell him to give you an extra hundred dollars. Sort of a, a wedding present. Oh, Mr. White! What's all this sentimentality? Has everybody around here gone crazy? <laughs> all right. 
This episode will open with Perry yelling at everyone for a slow news week. Apparently thinks the newspaper industry is going to absolutely collapse due to slow news for one week. I think it's going to take a little longer than that, Chief. You know, as a newspaper editor, I know we're struggling now, but you know what? Us community papers are hanging around. You know, the big national media may be getting its butt kicked by the economy, but you know, the, the hyper-local rags, your small... Your small rural dailies and your community weeklies there, they're still providing the news that you're no one's, you're not going to get anywhere else. So it seems that in this new uh, information age, it seems as though the smaller institutions are the ones that are really doing well. I mean, I'm actually part of a newspaper company that's expanding, if you could believe that. I couldn't, especially after the way things went for me at my last job. I survived the first final loss, but not the second. Anyway... I'd like Clark's comment that it's not the, their job to create the news. Although that is interesting coming from somebody who creates an awful lot of news as Superman. Wouldn't you think? They say they don't know about all the crime in Metropolis. Perry's saying there's still some out there. Well, you know what? I'm sure the police isn't reporting all of the crime. So what's going to happen here is that the Daily Planet staff, they're all going to end up on roving assignments, basically. They have to find their own news, which is really what they should be doing anyway. They shouldn't be sitting at their desks waiting for Perry to give them an assignment. It's their job to go out there and cultivate sources that will give them tips which lead to good news stories. So, basically Perry told them to stop waiting for him to give them an assignment and get off their butts and become reporters. This is what they're going to do. So now we're going out into the street. Here's a guy playing uh, with a cat's cradle, you know, a little string game with your hands. I recall my sister played that, you know, way back when we were kids, but I don't think she's touched one recently. Why a grown man would be doing this out in Metropolis, I don't know. Maybe he finds it relaxing, I don't know. Some people sort comic books, others, you know, do a cat's cradle. Whatever floats your boat, I guess. And we're going to find out this guy is Frank Smullins, and he's going to accidentally capture a bank robber. And when I say accidentally, I do mean accidentally. And fortunately, this is right in front of Jimmy. Basically, what happens with Smullins and the bank robber is uh, Smullins' hands are tied up in his cat's cradle, and they get all tangled up and fall down, you know? It's nice that Jimmy's on hand for this. I mean, it's true spot news, which is news that happens basically right out of nowhere. Like, like a structure fire would be considered spot news. But it just happens to be fortunate that Jimmy was in the right spot to get this, you know. Despite what Perry says, it is extremely rare for a reporter to just, you know, stumble up onto something like this by sheer happenstance. So, Jimmy comes back with the picture that's going to save the Daily Planet, which, of course doesn't need saving. That's just more Perry's over-exaggerations. Perry, meanwhile, is unimpressed and sarcastic, as we would expect him to be whenever Jimmy does something. And you know what? Jimmy is excited about this story, and you know what? He should be. You know, he did what Perry asked him to do. He did what Perry asked all of them to do, but... And he did it before Lois and Clark could, so... You know, big props to Jimmy there for getting the assignment done. And... Honestly, I think Perry is upset that Jimmy is the one who got the story. I think for sure he would have expected Clark or Lois to do it, but nope, it's Jimmy, and you know what? Good for Jimmy, you know, he deserves some good stuff. Now, the shots of Noel Neal in this scene are very jarring. One, you never see her in the shot with the other three actors, and I don't think she's there. And I'm not even sure that after a certain point in this scene that Clark is there anymore. Because at first he's in the shot... With Perry when Jimmy comes in, but then we see him walk off frame and he never really comes back into frame with Perry and Jimmy. So I wonder what happened there. If Clark left the frame and when George Reeves went somewhere else, or I don't know, out to lunch or something, I don't know. But it kind of reminds me of a similar thing that happened in Dagger Island, where, and I have nothing to base this on, but it just felt like in the scene where in Perry's office, like, somebody asked where Lois was, or where Clark was, rather. And all of a sudden, there's a shot of Lois saying that he was on another assignment and couldn't make it back. It was the only thing Lois says during the meeting, and I had to look back at the Y shot again. I'm not 100% sure you even see her in there, so. One of those things. I don't believe Noel Neal was here for the filming of this scene, even though she does have lines and interacts with other characters in, the, in this scene. <sighs> So, you know, so Jimmy even thinks ahead enough to bring Frank Smullins for an interview, and he basically reveals that he stopped the bank robbery by accident. But what intrigues Perry here is that he says he happens to be 
at a place where extraordinary things happen. I guess it's kind of an intuition to go a certain place because something's going to happen. Like you mentioned somebody threw a no-hitter at a baseball game he had gone to. It was the first time he had ever gone to a game and there were a whole bunch of other things that happened. I'm not going to go into all of them here, but it's enough to convince Perry to give Swellens a job and let him follow his hunches. Long story short, basically, Frank's hunches lead him back to uh, Simpson and Sons or whatever it's called, that bookkeeping firm that he worked for or whatever he did there. So Smolens is hired by the planet for 100 bucks a week, which in today's money is about $864 per week. Much more than a reporter just starting out as any business making. So I'm not entirely sure how I feel about the chief's generosity here. You know, I'm just basing that on what this managing editor brings home every week. Just, just saying. So then we meet Frank and Celia, and Celia wants to get married, so she's kind of pushing Frank into this crime-busting reporter gig. Because she wants the extra money so they can get married. Apparently, they've been together for years and have never gotten hitched. Frank, meanwhile, is a middle-aged man going nowhere. He's been at the uh, Samson and Son for 20-plus years and nothing has happened for him. He's been submitting the same financial plan to the boss for five years and not gotten a nibble. So, Celia convinces him to take the gig as the crime-busting reporter. And basically, Smolin says something to the effect of... Yeah, what can happen to me? Well, I love this cut. As you, go, you go right from that line to Marty's face basically saying, we have to kill Frank Smullins. So, and apparently these two criminals are planning the perfect jobs, Murray and little and Big Jack. Not to be confused with Little Jack, who was played by Richard Reeves in the Big Freeze episode. This is Big Jack. <clears throat> so apparently uh, Smullins is hiring his front page news as Smullins and Big Jack know all about it. I'm not sure why. I've never been to any newspaper that has announced its hirings on the front page, but I don't know, maybe they made a house ad for promising a column by Smolens or something, I don't know. So, but meanwhile, Big Jack is going to plan 18 jobs over the next two days, and one of them is going to involve the one of the best pickpockets in Metropolis, or at least the hardest working one, Fingers Danny. And here they are, at back at the bank, Smolens stopped the robber the previous day. Clark spots the pickpocket, like I said, his name is Fingers Danny who went after the president of the bank. And he lifts his wallet. And Smolens is scared and uh, wants to get out of this. So we're starting to see some holes in our crime-busting reporter. You know, first he kind of, you know, he didn't, you saw it first when he didn't want to commit to taking the job. And now he really doesn't want to commit to capturing this pickpocket. So Clark does it. And Smolens knows he's kind of full of crap. So Clark does it. And Clark pulls the wallet out of the pickpocket's jacket and finds $50,000 in it. Roughly the equivalent of $432,000 today. Who carries around that much cash? I can't think of a time when I had $432 in my wallet at the same time. So, After Clark relieves the pickpocket of his gun, he finds Frank on the ground passed out. I guess he really can't handle the heat. And despite Perry's enthusiasm for his new crime-busting reporter, he just doesn't seem the heart for it. Which is probably why he didn't want this job. So Clark will relay the story of what happened. Perry doesn't believe it. But this is when, you know, we see that Clark is circling the uh, circling the truth here. As he's starting to believe that Smolens' first busted robbery was an accident. Marty doesn't think it was an accident. Marty still wants to kill him. Of course, especially since his job is next. About $500,000 in diamonds and cash. So, sounds like it's worth the risk of running into uh, Frank Smolens. But, he says if he's there, he's going to kill him. Which, Big Jack is against, because apparently uh, killing policemen and killing reporters is bad luck. I'm not sure what superstition that falls under, but it's definitely one that he believes strongly in. At least for now. He's going to realize down the line that not killing them is bad luck as well. So, back at the planet, Perry notices the cat's cradle in Smolens' fingers, and he suddenly realizes that Smolens' capture of the criminal in the opening was indeed an accident. And right here, Perry is thinking about his future. Now, Chief, I want you to look very carefully. You notice that, that string there in Frank's hand? Yes, what about it? We know he was trying to tie the man up. Well, that's what I mean. You see, it's not just a rope as Jimmy reported. It's a, well, it's just a piece of twine. Look at the way it's entangled in Frank's hand. Does that suggest anything to you? Why, yes, it's, it's a cat's cradle. The silly thing you can do with string. Exactly, exactly. It's just my theory that he was walking along the sidewalk, minding his own business when this gunman blundered into him and they just got all tangled up. Then he didn't really capture the bank robber, at least not on purpose. That's right. He didn't capture Danny either, let's face it. Boss, 
Your two-fisted crime-busting reporter is just a frightened little bookkeeper that happens to have a knack that places him near the scene of a disaster. Well, what can we do about it? Well, for your own sake, you're going to have to lose him. We've all got him believing his own publicity so much that he thinks he's a fearless, invincible hero, and he's, well, he's just sold on it, that's all. Sooner or later, he's bound to get hurt, Chief. I can't fire him. We promised our readers a whole series by him. Why, if the truth of this story ever comes out, I'll be the laughingstock of the newspaper world. Well, where is he now? He's gone to the Crayler building. What's he doing there? Oh, he said he had one of his feelings. Crayler. The Crayler building? Van Rails, the jewelers are there. That's right. Wait a minute, where are you going? Well, uh, Chief, I, uh, I just remembered. I have to cover a sports car show. Oh, fine. And if one of those sports cars backfires, we'll put it on page one. The Perry notices the cat's cradle in Smollins' fingers, and he suddenly realizes that the capture was an accident. But he can't fire Smollins because it'll it'll destroy Perry's reputation, and that he'll look like a he'll look like a fool and become a laughing stock, which is not something Perry can have. He hates when people laugh at him. But it's one of those things that he kind of staked his reputation on, and well, it could come back and destroy it. Meanwhile, Frank had another one of his feelings that he's going to put him in trouble, so Clark is going to change Superman or cover a sports car show. Like maybe one, maybe both. I don't know. But at first, it's definitely going to be Superman, though. As he has Frank, who is about to be shot by Marty as soon as Marty cocks the gun. Frank passes out. And, you know, he believes his own ability to a point. Frank believes his own publicity until somebody cocks a gun at him and looks as though they're going to shoot, which could be a good survival skill. I don't know. I have no real interest in testing it. If you know anyone who will test such a thing, manascreen at gmail.com. But you know what? But here comes someone Marty won't be able to get away from. He hears the Superman flying. He goes look out the window. If I were him, instead of looking around like an idiot, I'd move. But he doesn't. Instead, he will drag Frank into the safe. He'll throw some dynamite in there and cover his escape. Then we got a nice shot of Superman bending the bars at the window. And he sees Frank in the vault with dynamite. And then we got another nice shot of Superman taking off the vault door. He takes the whole thing off in one piece. Bends and breaks a little bit around the hinges. But, you know, another well done shot. So he tosses the dynamite up in the air and rescues Frank. Now, I'm not sure why Superman is playing into Frank's act here, but he does and kind of rolls his eyes when Frank turns his back on him. You know, and this is going to get dangerous, and it seems here like Superman is encouraging him. I don't know, it seems like a strange way to for Superman to behave in this situation. And then we get a, this pose from Smullins with his folded arms and nose up in the air. Oh my god, you're really, he's feeling overconfident now, and overconfidence is going to get him killed, if he's not careful. So, Marty back with no uh, loot. Gets an earful from Big Jack about the bad luck of killing reporters, even though he hasn't killed anybody. But, but apparently, uh, you know, Marty's been planning ahead a little bit. He knows enough about Frank to know about Celia, so she's going to become bait. And Big Jack and Marty are going to see if they can catch themselves a Smolens fish. So they call the planet to talk to Frank. Jimmy, in a hilarious scene, pretends to be Frank. He even tries to imitate the man's higher-pitched voice. And Jimmy doesn't know where Celia lives, so he has no idea how to find out where she lives, but he comes up with a good way to do it. And she mentions that she owns two houses. Which one should he go to? And then uh, Marty says, yeah, 37 Maple Street. And I also liked, you know, before the phone call, when after Marty asked for Smollins, Jimmy looked around for a minute and uh, pretended to see somebody. So Jimmy's got something to prove to Perry, and he shows up and Celia announces that she's not Frank, and Jimmy tries to... Pretended he's doing a survey, and Marty goes right along with like a dumb henchman. And you know, by going to Celia's house, I'm not sure what Jimmy is expecting to accomplish, but all they get him is captured and tied up. So, good job, Jimmy. So at the office, they learn that Jimmy is at Celia's, and then Clark doesn't really want to go. And I love this exchange, you know, with Clark doing everything he can to kind of extricate himself from the situation. Basically, says he's going to cover a sports car show or something, and you know, Clark just does everything he can to get a kind of slinky way so he could change it to Superman. Maybe he should have said that he'd like to. Put some stuff upstairs in the attic or something. I don't know. Anything except for what, what he did. Just, ugh. It just seemed like a poorly conceived shot. of Clark Kent just kind of slinking away into his office. And I love Perry's rant about not having anyone to talk to. I know people say you're crazy when you talk to yourself. But by great Caesar's ghost, there's nobody else around here sane enough to talk to. Perhaps Perry should put a microphone in front of his face and record a podcast. I mean, I believe it was Aaron Henley. And I think this was on the Luke Cage episode of Weekly Heroics over at TwoTrueFreaks.com. He said, you don't seem crazy if you're talking to yourself into a microphone. And you can name that podcast, My Great Caesar's Ghost. And I have to say, right now, people would think I was crazy sitting here talking about Superman if I wasn't talking into a microphone right in front of me. There's a lot of truth to that. So, here comes Superman, and uh, Jimmy and Celia are going to die by 
gas. And it took me and turns it off saying, it's still getting stuffy in here. It's kind of hard. It looks like it was stuck in there. But, you know, I do like the line. Like one of the nice little one-liners. Superman leaves, uh... After doing a little bit of a puppet show uh, with the uh, unconscious criminals, Superman leaves Celia and uh, Jimmy uh, Jimmy tied up and takes off. So when everybody else shows up, uh, Smollett goes over to them and knocks out the criminals, even though Jimmy at first starts to yell that they're already knocked out. But Celia shushes them because she wants Frank to think he's a hero or something. I don't know. But it turns out at the end, after all is said and done, Frank is going to... Quit the planet because it's too dangerous. And because all this stuff going on has inspired Mr. Simmons to read Frank's proposal after it's been sitting on his desk for five years. And he's going to become director of sales at Simmons and Sons and make $200 a week. So apparently he's going to do well for himself in the financial market. Good for him. Something good came out of this for Frank Smullins because he almost wound up dead a few times. And, you know, Perry decides to give Frank an extra hundred bucks as a wedding present and, uh, you know, Celia is so ha- over the moon about this that she kisses Perry on the cheek and Perry jumps up and actually looks frightened. You know, we mentioned Jimmy wouldn't know what to do with a woman in his arms. I don't think this Perry would know what to do either sometimes. Just a mean and gruff old man by Great Caesar's Ghost. And you know, he has no use for sentimentality and wants to know if everyone's gone crazy. Nice little ending. Very funny ending. And again, an okay episode, but of all the things to remember, I remember Superman shutting the gas off and saying that it's getting stuffy in there. It's odd what sticks with you. So, that's about all I got for these two episodes. Next time, Bob Fisher will make his way back onto the show as we will look at the town that wasn't. Then we're going to go across the world with some creepy characters in the Tomb of Zaharan. Now, if you want to send some feedback to the show, you are free to do so. It's always welcome. You can email me at manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, you can put Man of Screen Podcast into your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter, at Screencast, And please, leave me reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. That will help others find the show as well. If you're interested in any other podcasting I do, you can also find me on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I am part of the Fear of the Walking Dead cast, where right now we're covering Season 7 of AMC's The Walking Dead. So, until next time, thanks for listening, folks. Have a good one. Bye. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all the opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network, can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com, and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.